and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you once again for joining me today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so right now. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning, and you're going to want to check them out full of all kinds of great dog training information and more. Today's episode is going to be awesome. I'm excited for this, guys. First story today, first segment today is going to be force-free training. I've been saying I'm going to do a whole segment on this for a while, and today is the day. (laughs) Yes. Then we're going to have a client story. It's been a while since I've done a client story, so we're going to have that. And you know, it's going to focus a little more on the human psychology side and how it sometimes maybe gets in the way of training our dogs. Then we're going to have our Breed of the Week, followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Don't forget, you can also follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. And if you're interested in setting up some virtual training with me, email me, questions at speakadogcast. We could set up a consultation, lay out a phenomenal training plan for you, your family, and your dog, and get your dog's behavior under better control virtually. Yes, but before we get going with the show today, I have to give you today's trivia question. That question is, what breed of dog is also known as the Hungarian Sheepdog? Yes, what breed of dog is also known as the Hungarian Sheepdog? I'll give you the answer to that question in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's a segment on force-free training. Yes, now I am excited about this segment. I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. It's going to be an interesting conversation. Definitely a hot topic right now. But before we dive into this, <laughs> before we talk about all this info I have today, um, we, we have to start with a disclaimer. Anybody that's listened to my podcast before, you know some of these segments start this way. And what this really is, the, the disclaimer is to provide context information and understanding before we get into this, okay? So context is everything. And, you know, really the disclaimer, the first thing we have to start with, and to any animal lover, this is obvious. This is really obvious to any animal lover. But the first thing we have to say is that our priority when working and training with animals, with dogs, our priority is always the health and well-being of that animal, right? The health, safety, and well-being of that animal is what always takes priority when we're working with them. We do not want to be using ultra-harsh tactics. We don't want to be using fear methods. That's not what I believe in, and that's not what I use, okay? So I don't want to be instilling fear in a dog. That's so I don't want my dog to fear me. I want my dog to be my companion and my friend, and I have to build a relationship for that to happen, and in order for that to happen, you can't use those terrible tactics is really the way I, there's no other word for it, terrible, okay? So, that's, that's where we have to start is by an understanding that the priority in working with dogs and working with animals is the safety, health, and well-being of them, all right? That's always the priority. And I always believe in using reinforcement, affection, and food in order to strengthen good or rather desired behaviors, okay? So that's, that's sort of my little context in starting off. Now, with that said, as we move on, <laughs> The next thing we have to say uh, that I have to say is, look, I'm, I'm not a force-free trainer. I'm not. I don't call myself a force-free trainer. And while there might be little bits and pieces of their methodology or, or theory, if you will, if you can call it that, I'm sorry, um, <laughs> there may be bits and pieces of it that I'll agree and align with. But as a, on the whole, no. 
No, I do not consider myself a force-free trainer, and I don't believe in force-free training. So force-free, you know, a lot of times you'll force-free is going to tell you that they use no force and no punishment to train their dog, to train dogs, right? That's that's their philosophy. No force, no punishment. And look, any of you guys that have listened to my podcast and have listened to the segments on the definitions of positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and punishment, you know that that's just not true. Here, here's point number one of my, you know, here, here's the first thing about my, my first point, if you will, uh, of how force-free training is not really a thing. Because you have to use punishment, guys. We've talked about this. What's the definition of punishment? Punishment is anything an animal works to avoid. I drive down the street, I drive the speed limit, because if I don't, I get a ticket. So I work to avoid that ticket by driving the speed limit. Little kids, they work to avoid getting grounded, so they do their homework, (laughs) you know? Uh, There are laws and rules all around us that govern us that, that, that tell us, you know, hey, you do this behavior, you get rewarded in life. You do this behavior, you're going to get punished in life, or there's a consequence. So... Every animal on this planet learns the same way, guys. Every animal, through reinforcement, which strengthens and increases behavior, and punishment, which uh, uh, is going to decrease behavior, right? So when we're talking about using punishment, what force-free training, what 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 what, what their philosophy is attempting to say, and this is something that any animal lover, I don't disagree with, we can't disagree with, is that they don't want to use fear and harsh punishments to train dogs, I don't want to use fear. And we talked about this at the very beginning of the segment. Of course we don't, right? Again, obvious to any animal lover out there. But to say you don't want to use punishment is, to me, ignorant. Because then you don't understand the definition of punishment. You know? Um, As as we've discussed before with punishment, look, going back to that definition, anything in it works to avoid... Here's an example of my second point of the segment is that these that, that a force-free trainer, they oftentimes use contradictory methods to what they say they want. So they say they don't want to use punishment, but here's the thing. If they if anybody, if you ever withhold giving a dog a treat for some reason, let's say the dog is starting to jump on you, it's a puppy, and they're very overexcited and they're jumping all over you. You don't want to give them a treat, you want to wait till they sit down, right? Now, a force-free trainer's philosophy is going to be that you wait until the dog sits, and once they finally do sit, you throw a treat in their face. And then they're going to start jumping all over you again, and you wait it out again. You don't say anything. You don't do anything. You don't just wait it out until they sit down. Now, I mean, first of all, a side note, guys, some of my older clients, they can't just sit there and get scratched by a puppy for 30 minutes until the dog decides to stop. They're going to be bleeding out. Like, (laughs) come on. First thing. Um, but that aside, if you're withholding a treat from that dog, you are using punishment by definition. Think about it. You're attempting to get the dogs jumping, that behavior. That's what you're attempting to get to go away. So you need that behavior to decrease. By the rules of psychology, the only way to get a behavior to decrease is through using punishment. So if you're not rewarding the behavior and you're not giving the dog what they want, affection, food, then you're punishing that behavior. Because you are giving them something to work to avoid, not getting the treat. So there's two points right there, guys. First of all, they are using the the, the concept of punishment. And second, you know, that's contradictory to their whole thing. Like, I mean, come on. Um, So 
that's, that's just, that's my first and second gripe right there. And you know, just that alone, just saying they claim to use no force and no punishment. I I can prove (laughs) that you have to use force and you have to use punishment. Here's, here's the, and I haven't really, let's talk about force, right? How do we use force in a way that is cohesive, in a way that works with our dog in a way, you know, that, that, that's going to keep the, make them happy. However you want to look at it. Uh, what's a good way to use force? Well, how about something as basic as your home? Those of us that keep our dogs inside, uh, I close my doors so my dogs don't run outside, right? Well, guess what? That's force. When I step outside and uh, in public and I go out with my dogs, I put a leash on them. That's force. There's another prime example. How about, how about governmental laws, guys? How, in the state of Florida, you have to leash up your dog in public. It's a law. You must, the, the, they're telling you, you have to use force in the best interest of keeping your dog and others safe. Makes sense. Common sense, right? So there's just two examples of force being used in a way that's in the best interest of the dog and their safety and their training. So force-free trainers, they have to use leashes if you're going out in the public. I mean, come on, you have to, you have to, that's force, That's force, guys. Force doesn't have to be this bad, horrible thing. That's not what force is. A lot of times, I think the word force gets lumped in with the word punishment. And then punishment is misunderstood. So now we're putting a word that doesn't belong with punishment, and punishment, we don't even have the right, correct definition, and now you see the problem. So I I just, I kind of find it ironic that they call, you know, they call it force-free training when in fact you actually have to use force (laughs) at some time or another. Guys, how about if you have to take your dog to the vet? Do you open the front door of your house and go, well, Fluffy, go find the vet. I'll see you there in 20 minutes and hope for the best that your dog's going to get there because you don't want to, you don't want to force him. No, you put your dog in the car and you close the door, forcing him to stay in the vehicle for his safety so you can easily transport your dog to the vet. Something as simple as that. That's force. That is force, guys, by definition. There's nothing wrong with force until it's used as a form of exploitation, just like anything, right? Just like anything. And I feel it's the same way with punishment. There's nothing wrong with punishing an animal as long as you're doing it in a healthy way that's not harming the animal, right? Duh, obviously, animal lovers out there, pretty pretty straightforward stuff, right? But it's the only way to get behaviors to decrease, So basically, I think force-free training assumes that all punishment equals harsh, horrible things, which is just not true. That's just not, right? I mean, it's, it's not. Um, And so there's my two, I mean, we've already, I, I can't tell you how many times already, I don't know if I can even count how many times I already just showed you, there's no such thing as force-free training because you have to use force. Force is a natural, normal part of all of our lives. Give, the, give you another example with animals, not just dog. How about a bird? When a little baby bird is learning to fly and they try to hop out of their nest and fly away, what happens the first time they do that? Plop, they fall on the ground. That's what happens because they have to learn to fly. So force is actually teaching them to fly. There's force being used in a good way again, right? So, you know, it's, it's interesting, this perspective, this new philosophy that's coming up that we have to be force-free. And what they're really trying to say, and again, it comes from a good place. I truly believe force-free training, it comes from a good place. But I think it comes from an emotional place. 
look, don't get me wrong. I, I, we, again, I'll say it, I think a third or fourth time in the segment, I don't want to use fear training tactics. I don't want to scare my dog. I want to have a relationship with my dog. I, I, I need to be able to trust my dog and my dog needs to be able to trust me in return. And severe tactics are not going to gain you that trust. It's just not. It's just not. Uh, look, my favorite saying, name of one of my segments, don't be mean, just mean it, right? That's that's what we want to be to our dogs. Don't be mean, just mean it. Be a source of strength to your dog. Um, and so, you know, it's 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 just fascinating to me that this, this force-free training thing has become a thing at all because it's just not true. Again, number one, guys, I proved to you how force is not a, force-free is just not a thing. Something as simple as closing the doors to our home, putting your dog in a car and taking him to the vet, or even more simple, leashing your dog up. These are all forms of force. And they all work in a way to help our dogs in the end, to keep them safe in the end, to be able to guide and direct their behavior in a cohesive way that works for the owner and works for the pet, right? So that's the first thing is boom, force free. It's not a thing. It's not a thing by the rules of psychology. This isn't my like, guy. These rules of psychology, the rules of force. I didn't make this up. This is like the universe. This is the ebb and flow of everything. If you ask me, right? We have reinforcement. We have punishment. We have good. We have bad. We have yin. We have yang. It's, 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 it's really the way the world turns is the way I see it. You have to have that ebb and flow there. Um, and it's no different when we're working with animals. Look, when I was, when I was growing up, my parents made it very crystal clear. Here's a consequence, David. Here's a reward. Which one works better for you? Well, gee, I don't know. Let's see. Do I want to not be grounded? Do I want to not have my allowance taken away? Uh, yes. Okay, good. I will, yeah, do well in school and be nice to my parents. Imagine that. I figured it out pretty quick. You know, it's, it's basic consequence and reward. Um, and so that's why that force free just isn't a thing. My second point, as I said, uh, is that unfortunately, force-free trainers are contradicting themselves. They are. Because like I said, in the state of Florida, they don't have an option. If you're walking out into public, guys, I don't care what kind of trainer you are. By the laws in the state of Florida, you have to leash up your dog. And a leash, I don't care, harness. I mean, look, I don't want you to use a harness, but whatever kind of restraint. Look, there's that word. They call them restraints. Why do they call it a restraint? Because it's using force to restrain the dog. <laughs> So you're using force. You're using force and you're using punishment, even if it's just withholding a treat, even if you're not doing anything else. Okay. So there's the two points just being proven right there that force-free training doesn't really exist because force is a natural part of our environment and a natural part of being an animal. Um, and unfortunately, that it's, it's a, it's the techniques, the whole training, the whole philosophy is contradictory to itself. It is. Think about it. Okay. So, you know, it, it's, I, I don't, again, I don't know where this all started that, oh, we can't, like, we can't use punishment. We can't use punishment. We shouldn't use harsh punishment. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. I don't use shot collars, guys, right? That's somewhere I can get on board. There's a commonality I can find in somewhere in their philosophy of force-free training. They don't believe in shot collars. They also don't really believe in any collars, though. So that's, like, crazy. Um, <laughs> crazy. You know, look, here, here's the thing. I like to pose this question to everybody, but especially to a force-free trainer. Or years ago, I came across, I'll tell you, I came across a big box um, dog trainer, right? One of, the, one of the big box stores, one of their dog trainers. Now, I know, I've, I've, I've seen their, their books and, you know, their guidelines and protocols and all that before. And I, I knew the answer going into this, but I, I wanted to ask him. I said, hey, so 
let's say you're in a class training dogs and all of a sudden one of the dogs just goes crazy and, and wants to bite you. And it's trying to bite you. I said, what do you do? And you know what their answer was? Their answer was actually, well, we don't, we don't deal with that. We don't take dogs in like that. I said, yeah, no, I, I understand. Like you're not looking, you, you try to weed those dogs out, but let's say you have a dog one day who just turns and decides to bite you. I said, what do you, how do you guys approach that? Well, we don't, we, pet, the, the, the pet store doesn't allow that. Like we don't allow to, so we don't deal. I said, yeah, you're not like, you're not quite getting me. You don't have an option. Like there, there's no choice here. It's not like the pet, whether they allow it or not is irrelevant. This dog is coming at you. What do you do? Here's the point I'm trying to make, especially if you ask that to a force-free trainer, guys. The answer is you're going to you're gonna try to stop the dog, right? You're going to put your arm up in defense, bare minimum. You're going to try to put up a barrier, some form of force to try to stop that dog. Now, guys, I hope this never, this scenario, I hope this scenario never plays out for any of you listening, you know? But if you've trained dogs long enough and you're not just doing puppy classes and you really have been out there and gotten a wide variety of clients, guys, there's no way to avoid in this profession, there's no way to avoid uh, coming across a dog with, with aggression issues at some point. It's going to happen. It's going to happen and a dog is going to try to bite you if you're in this profession. That's the reality of it. That's what comes with working with dogs sometimes and trying to train them and, and give them a better life. Um, you know, and I've, I've done a lot of dogs, uh, severe aggression, rehabilitation, some uh, severe anxiety issues where the dogs feel like they need to snap I and mean, stuff like that. And it, it's not, it's not pretty, first of all. Um, and you feel really bad for the dog. You do and feeling bad isn't going to help them, but you know, you, you can empathize with the poor things must feel terrified and that, that stinks. So there's another point I can bring up is the dog is already fearful you haven't done anything to make that dog fearful. Nobody has. It was it's something that happened in its past life. But you're going to tell me it's fear. You you only use fear free, guys. The dog's already scared. You have to get them out of that fear. But you can't say it's fear free if you have a dog that's fearful of something, not by your doing. But you have to be able to recognize this stuff for what it really is. You know, stop sugarcoating it. So again, we go back to that question of if a dog comes at you full throttle, I hope it never happens, but if they do, you're going to put up your arm and try to stop it, aren't you? You're going to try to put up the defense. You're going to use some form of force. In all my years with a dog coming at me, now I've never tried this because I don't think it's going to work, but I've never tried to go, hey doggy coming at me, will you please not bite me because I don't want to use force? It's not going to work. <laughs> Oh, goodness. All right. I'm sorry. I'm a little bum and glum here and kind of going off on a little tangent. It happens sometimes. This is a pet peeve of mine. It is because, again, to me, force-free training just contradicts itself, whether it's through the active technique that the trainers use or the philosophy itself. Um, to me, it's just a, a giant contradiction. It's a giant contradiction. And if that's the case, then it's not really a, it's, it's not really it's not a thing. Force-free isn't a thing. That's really the point I'm trying to make here. We have to understand the rules of psychology, punishment, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. If you really want to get technical, guys, we'll go with positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, and negative punishment. Again, please go back, listen to episode 15. It goes into detail about this and understanding it. Um, because without that understanding of these concepts, you don't know if I'm right. 
<laughs> you don't know if I'm wrong. Um, without understanding psychology, you know, then it's going to be hard to train your dog. It's going to be hard to be a professional if you don't understand these concepts. So look, I'm not trying to be mean or point a finger. Oh, you're terrible. You're wrong. It's just the straight up truth. The fact that force-free training is a contradiction unto itself. Simple as that. So yeah, I, you know, I'm not for, I, I don't believe in the philosophy of force-free training. While there are bits and pieces of it, I can agree with, I can come to an agreement that sure, we don't want to use fear-based techniques. We don't want to use harsh techniques when we're training our dog. Any animal lover can get on board with that. But again, as we discussed, force, punishment, the correct definitions, the correct understanding, they're a natural, normal part of everyday life that we all encounter. And understanding how to utilize them properly is what leads to a better, healthier, happier, and safe pet. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's a client story. Yeah, I haven't done a client story in a while. I figured it was maybe a little bit overdue. Yeah, so we're going to talk about a client today that I had, but it's not necessarily the happiest story or the saddest story. A little entertaining, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's it's it really kind of dives in a little bit on the human psychology side and how people sometimes maybe let their emotions get the best of them. And look, I'm guilty of it. Who isn't? Who isn't guilty of getting letting their emotions get the best of them? That's what makes us human. And I think it's some at sometimes letting your emotions get the better of you is almost a good thing <laughs> because it teaches you maybe restraint, uh, myself included, right? And y- you you can learn from those those experiences. Um, but you know what's interesting about my job is it's psychology. It's it's nothing but psychology. And and as I've said before, psychology is psychology. And what I mean by that is it doesn't matter whether we have a, a child, an adult, a dog, a cat, a bird, an otter, a bat, a pig, a, a raccoon, a, you name it. Every animal on this planet, we all learn the same exact way. Behavior is either reinforced and increases or behavior is punished and it decreases. Those are the only two ways to gain behavior in the world, guys. And every animal lives by this. It's true. 
It's true. And the only reason an animal ever does anything is because they get reinforcement out of it. And the only reason they ever stop doing anything is because they work to avoid something or they work to avoid a punishment or a consequence. Okay. Um, look, if you don't understand the basics of if this is a newer episode to you, and maybe you haven't heard some of my previous episodes on psychology, psych 101, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, punishment, important stuff. That is like the foundational building block for understanding how to train your dog. Uh, so I highly recommend going back and listening to some previous segments on that. It definitely comes into play with what we're going to talk about today. Okay. So, um, again, fascinating, fascinating stuff that, like I said, psychology is psychology. So when I walk into someone's home for the first time for that initial consultation, they've given me a little surface level information to work with on what some of the behavioral issues are. However, once I walk in that door within about three to five minutes, most of the time, I can tell you pretty much what's happening and why. And it's not because I'm just observing the dog's behavior, but it's also because I observe the people's behavior, the environment what the house is like, what, what your home, you know, is like, and it, look, it's not to be judgmental. It's really not. But the reality is you as a person in your personal life has a direct reflection and correlation to your dog's mental well-being. It does. Dogs are such amazing companions and they're, they're, they're such, you know, they're our buddies and we've bred, we've, we've talked about before as well as with genetics and breeding of dogs. And we've bred that into them, that they're so in tune with us that unfortunately, even for the bad, right? They know when we're upset. They know when we're sad. They know. So that dynamic, they know when we're happy even. So that dynamic in your household is going to contribute to your dog's behavior. So when I walk in, it's not coming from a judgmental perspective. It's coming at it from the perspective of psychology, of how animals learn. And again, how it all comes into play together in affecting your dog's behavior. So it's no, it's no judgment, guys. It really isn't. It's an observation and assessment. That's really what it comes down to. So when I walk in and I observe and I obsess, uh, uh, obsess. <laughs> when I observe and assess uh, somebody's dog and their and themselves and their behavior, the psychology, like I said, in that first three to five minutes can tell me a lot, a lot, if not everything about what's going on. So with that said, <laughs> I got a phone call for a client and it was from this really nice woman who said her son and his girlfriend have recently adopted a dog, this grown son. He's going to be in town visiting for a few weeks with the girlfriend and the dog. And she knows this dog is not trained. It's a puppy, you know, a couple months old. She knows it's not trained. She knows it's not housebroken. And she has neighbors in this neighborhood. I have quite a few clients. So she's seen me around training dogs, walking dogs, all that kind of good stuff. And I heard good things and gave me a call and said, maybe you can help. So I showed up for the consultation and I met her, I met her husband, I met her son, and I met the girlfriend. And, you know, I, I remember it, <laughs> I remember it very vividly. I met the uh, mom and the husband first, and then the son came into the room a minute later and introduced himself, and about a minute after that, the girlfriend comes around the corner and introduces herself. And look, guys, I'll just, I'll be honest. The second I met the girlfriend and she shook my hand, I knew we were going to have some issues training. I knew there were going to be some problems with trying to train her dog because it wasn't her dog that was going to be the problem. It was her. Not a judgment thing. I'm not trying to be offensive. I just have to look at behaviors and patterns and behaviors, body language. And if you see these patterns enough, you can start to not predict them, but at least have some idea of where that behavior is going to end up going. Okay. So 
we sat down, we chatted, we're all, you know, all good. We're talking a little bit about their dog's behavior, the tools they use. Of course, they have a dog on a harness and I asked them, what do you think of the harness? Is it working? And of course the answer is no, it's not. The dog doesn't listen. She pulls, she jumps, she bites, she nips. Okay. These are problems, right? This is a six month. I, I think it was six months old. Maybe it was a little while ago. Um, oh, quite a while ago. Anyway, point is bad puppy behavior is going on and we're using the wrong tools to try to guide and direct the dog. So I at this point pull out my martingale collar as always. Now, before we get into talking about the martingale collar, I actually wanted to make a little side note here real quick. And look, you guys have heard that I adopted a new dog, Captain Nemo, and Nemo came to us from an amazing rescue called Big Dog Ranch Rescue, bdrr.org. Check him out because I love him so much. I want to keep plugging him. Uh, great organization, amazing facility, wonderful staff. Can't say enough good things. And here's my big just tip of the hat to them. This, I just, I, ah, this makes me so happy. You, if you are going to go down to Big Dog Ranch and you adopt a dog from them, you are not allowed to leave with that dog unless that dog is on a martingale collar. You heard me right. This rescue requires you to either bring your own or buy one from them, a martingale collar in order to leave the premises with your new dog. Thank you, Big Dog Ranch. I can't say thank you enough because guys, they're using the right tool. They know it. I don't have to tell them this. They know they're using the right tool because the Martingale Collar is an incredibly humane and right way to walk your a tool to walk your dog, train your dog, and work with your dog. They're an incredible tool because they communicate in a wonderfully black and white and communicate way when you use them correctly. Uh, black and white way to communicate with. I think I said that right. As well as if you have them adjusted and tightened correctly, the dogs can't escape out of them. So how about that safety factor? Big, big safety factor. So thank you, Big Dog Ranch, for not only encouraging, but requiring people to use the right tool to leave that facility. Big, giant facility, guys. Amazing, amazing stuff. And look at what tool they're promoting. The one that I promote. Thank you. Martin Gill Collars. <laughs> they're the best tool out there. Is it the only tool? No. Occasionally, I do recommend a choke collar. And even on the more very, very rare occasion, maybe a prong collar. I prefer not to use them if I can help it. But I never, ever use shot collars, guys. That's my personal uh, rule. You know, I'm going to talk about that today. All right. So getting back into it. This dog, on the other hand, was a puppy and, you know, didn't need anything crazy. It needs a martingale collar because that's what like 98% of dogs out there need, martingale collars, okay? So I pull out the martingale collar and I can immediately see the girlfriend's body language just diminishes immediately. And, oh, I've read on the internet, ugh, I hate those five words. I want to get rid of those five words. I've read on the internet. I, I, you know, like, I don't mean to be rude, but at that point, I just want to look and go, well, if you've read on the internet, then why am I here? Right? You have the internet to train your dog, then see y'all later. Uh, <laughs> I just, come on, guys, why are you hiring me if you've read on the internet? I just, I can't stand that. Now, again, I know it wasn't her that hired me, it was mom, but I hear it more often than not, and it makes me Looney Tunes. No, you don't need to read anything on the internet. You have someone who has done this a lot, uh, who is an expert in their field, who's telling you this is the right tool to use. Okay, so we had a little bit of a discussion about it. And look, I asked, I said, look, would you mind if I just tried, put it on the dog right now, work with her, let's see how it goes. You know, well, if, if it's not good, hey, take it off and I'll, you know, whatever. It was fine. Of course it was fine. Dog definitely resisted a little bit because it never had a collar put on before and it's six months old. Um, but it went all right. It went pretty well. And so after the consultation, they decided they wanted to sign up for some in-home training. Cool. Awesome. I come back for the first session. Uh, again, I loved it. Mom, dad, son, and uh, girlfriend, they're all present for the for the session. They're all ready to go. 
But I can tell the whole time the girlfriend's body language is just, she has her arms crossed. She has her chin down to her chest. She's basically has her feet standing there together. And her whole body language is shut down and telling me, I'm not listening to anything you're saying and I don't like you. She hasn't said that, but her, her body language did. I even, mind you, I even, I don't know what I did to make the, <laughs> I didn't do anything to make this girl upset or not like it. My, my sheer, my presence alone, guys, did it. Okay. Cause from the time I shook her hand, this is what was being given off. I hadn't even started working with the dog yet. Ah, <sighs> goodness. All right. So I came back for sex, session number two. You ready for it? You ready for what happens at session number two? I ring the doorbell. Now they're expecting me, right? <laughs> They know I'm coming. I don't just show up randomly and knock on my client's doors. Hey, here to train your dog. Uh, No, we set appointments, so they know I'm coming. And when the door opens, mom answers the door. And before the dog has even made it around the corner of the hallway, I notice there's a side table by the door. What do you think is sitting on that side table? The martingale collar. It's not on the dog. Dog comes flying around the corner. And again, only mom is there. Nobody else is there. The dog has no other collar, no other harness, no other lead, nothing on, nothing at all. Like even not even a bad tool. Comes around the corner and immediately jumps all over me, pouncing all over me, biting my hands. How are you supposed to get a dog to stop if you don't have any means to guide and direct their behavior? There's no treat pouch around. There's not even treats. Can't even reward them, reward him, even if he did decide to sit down. Now, yeah, I mean, I have my treat pouch on. <laughs> they didn't have theirs. All right. So anyway, the dog's going crazy. And I, I could tell when mom opens the door, I could see the look on her face. And the look, again, guys, just read body language. That wasn't the look mom had last time I was here. Mom's look said, things are not going well. <laughs> and it's not the dog. <laughs> It's not the dog. And basically, she covertly said that to me without saying it, that there's issues and it's not the dog and it's not me. It's not my training. She said her husband's on board, son is on board. And meanwhile, I'm still trying to get this dog to stop jumping and biting me. I don't have a collar. Finally, after like two or three minutes, son finally comes out. And I looked at him and said, hey, you know, why don't, why don't we have a leash or a martingale collar on the dog or any collar for that matter? Oh, well, ba 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 ba. here we go. Finally, after another two or three minutes, the girlfriend comes out. And wouldn't you know it, her arms are crossed. Her body language is shut down, diminished. And it's at this point that I just kind of looked at them. I said, hey, guys, what's the problem here? You know, you got to be honest with me. We have to be able to have an honest conversation. We need to be able to talk to each other here when we train your dog. And, you know, I need you guys to be honest with me. What's the problem? And the girlfriend is, oh, I don't, I don't really, I don't want to talk about it. I don't know. And I said, I think I know what the problem is here. I said, you don't, you don't trust me. I said, and that's a problem. I said, if you don't trust me, then this isn't going to work. If we, you, we can't create trust between us in a relationship, working relationship between us, then I can't help you train your dog. If you guys don't even want to use the tools I've given you, at least try them. And she goes, well, I've read on the internet. Here we go again. I said, look, you can tell me what you've read on the internet. That's fine. But I could read on the internet the opposite of what you're saying. The fact that a martingale collar is good. The fact that it's a humane way to train and work with your dog. I said, I've been doing this for a while and in all my time and experience, I've never known anybody, nobody that's hurt a dog using a martingale collar because it's a proper humane tool. I said, so look, at the end of the day, I think the problem here is we don't have trust. And before I can even start finishing my sentence, around the corner comes 
brother, uh, the brother, he I, he has a sister. They have a daughter. I didn't know they had another uh, another child in the house. Child, I mean, she's probably college age. But she comes around the corner and she goes, what is going on in here? Of course, because she can hear the chaos. The dog's losing its mind. Nobody, nobody's still, nobody has handed me a collar. Nobody's trying to do anything about the dog's behavior but me. Oh, my goodness. And, um, you know, she comes around, what's going on in here? And, <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, you know, I said, hey, I explained. I said, look you know, we're we're having some trouble with the training. I I just don't think there's any trust here happening. And she goes, this is ridiculous. And look, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just quoting her. She said, I've seen this guy walk 15 dogs around the neighborhood. He trains them. Everybody around here uses him and loves him. What's the problem? (laughs) I'm like, I'm just standing here going, oh, I don't, okay. I'm just going to be quiet now. And, you know, the brother just just spouts off some blah, 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 blah. And she goes, no, what's the issue? I want to hear it from both of you right now. What's the problem here? And, of course, the girlfriend just goes, I don't don't want to talk about it. I don't feel comfortable talking about this right now. I really don't feel comfortable talking about this right now. Seriously. And I looked at the sister. I said, look, she doesn't trust me. I don't know why, but that's what it is. And that's fine. I'm not the trainer for her, and that's fine. She can find somebody she likes and she can work with. I'm not that person. So don't worry about it. Good luck to you guys. And sisters, no, this is ridiculous. Bop, 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 bop. I've seen you train. Da, da, da. I mean, you know, all of a sudden you, you see the infighting among the family, and then I'm sitting there like, a, like a, I mean, I'm going, my gosh, you know, here, here we are again. Amazing. And the dog is still going nuts. And amazing, guys. How much your personal life, how much who you are can affect your dog in profound ways, good or bad. Hmm. It's crazy. Crazy, crazy. You know, it's, it is fascinating that, that look, that kind of thing. I, I have walked out of appointments for something like that. That's actually the only time I've ever walked out of an appointment where three out of the four people standing there are like, we want, well, four, five, four out of five, whatever it was, they wanted me to stay and train the dog. But as I pointed out to the mom, I said, look, this is their dog. This is son's dog and girlfriend's dog. She's the owner. If she doesn't want to work with me, then so be it. And the moral of the story at the end of the day is you can't help everybody. You can guide a horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink. You can't force them to, guys. Haha, <laughs> force. Now, we'll talk about force a different time. Um, <laughs> but that's... That's what it comes to, you know, and it's something that in my, and think in any profession, you're going to have ups, you're going to have downs and thank goodness downs like that just don't happen often. Like, thank goodness. Cause most people really do want to work with their dogs. And most people do want to hear what a professional has to say. And you know, if they know people that have gotten success with that professional, why wouldn't you want to listen to them? I feel like that about anything in life, you know, any professional I work with, I want to listen to their professional opinion. If I know that they have a good reputation, why wouldn't I? I'm hiring that person because I don't have the expertise in the field that they do, right? Isn't that why we hire people to do things? Because we don't know how to do it. Or maybe we just don't want to, one or the other. Either way, most of the time, it's probably because you don't know how, because you're not the expert in that field. So look, you know, again, moral of the story at the end of the day is you can't make everybody happy and you can't help everyone. The answer to today's trivia question, what breed of dog is also known as the Hungarian sheepdog? It's the Commodore. 
Yes, sometimes referred to as the mop dog, this long-established breed is used for guarding livestock and property. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Blue Tick Coonhound. Now, those of you that have been listening to my episodes recently, you know that I adopted, uh, my wife and I rather, we adopted a new dog, added a new pup to our pack, and he is a Blue Tick Coonhound named Nemo, Captain Nemo, yes. And you know, it's definitely been an adjustment period. He came with a little bit of baggage as a rescue, but we've been working through a lot of that and he's just becoming such a phenomenal dog. I mean, really just, he's starting to really fit in and it's just, it's wonderful. And now Blue Tick Coonhounds, of course, they're going to be members of the Hound Group. Males are coming in at 55 to 80 pounds with females from 45 to 60 pounds. The Blue Tick is an intelligent and determined breed, that's for sure. As a scent hound, their nose is second only to their cousin, the Bloodhound. These dogs were originally bred to specifically hunt raccoons, but they're also known to be strong and courageous against any other animal as well. While they are prized for hunting, they can make a wonderful family dog. They have sweet personalities, and they're known to be really great with kids. They do have a high prey drive, so caution must be taken around small animals. Daily walks are beyond, beyond necessary for this breed. They need a lot of good exercise, structure, and stimulation. Now, this means they're not going to make great apartment dogs. They're going to be happiest with a big yard to run around and explore. But don't be surprised if your blue tick chases or even gets a hold of something out in the yard. Now, you might even hear a loud baying, barking, letting you know that your dog has treed an animal outside. However, given the proper amount of exercise and stimulation, they can make a phenomenal dog. Now, they're a relatively healthy breed. Owners should be aware of bloat or GDV, as with all large-chested, large-breed dogs. And they should also make sure to keep those big ears clean and free of debris. Kept in good health, these guys can live to be 10 to 12 years old. The Blue Tick Coonhound can trace their history back to pre-colonial times in Europe. But while the Blue Tick is an American creation, they actually come from French staghounds that were given to George Washington as a gift from his friend, the Marquis de Lafayette. Now, they were large dogs that were easy to follow on foot, and these dogs were then bred down with the French breed, the Blue de Gascon, the English Foxhound, the Cur Dog, and the Black and Tan Virginia Foxhound. All of these breeds, they contributed into creating a high-endurance hunter with a very strong nose, or a cold nose, as they're referred to by raccoon hunters. These dogs do have the ability to track a scent trail that is hours, even days old. While in the early days of the blue tick, they were primarily used to hunt raccoons, it was soon discovered that these fear that they were fearless and relentless dogs, and this was also ideal for hunting larger animals as well. Now, it wasn't uncommon for them to, to chase and hunt boars and bears and cougars, and they ended up becoming a fixture in southern culture. Since 1953, Smokey, the blue tick coonhound, he has been the mascot for the University of Tennessee. And of course, one of the most famous coonhounds in pop culture, the Hanna-Barbera cartoon character, Huckleberry Hound. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Jenny from Hanover, Maryland. Jenny asks, can I leave my dog in the car for like five minutes to run into the store? 
The short answer here, Jenny, is no. You really shouldn't do that. Uh, you know, look, there's been lots of amateur <laughs> uh, experimentations where people have done, you know, you see YouTube videos where people sit in a car. I've seen news stories on it too with a thermometer. They'll sit in a car with a thermometer in the sun and we will watch how quickly the temperature rises in that vehicle. Uh, you know, even when it's relatively cool outside, a car parked in the sun in direct sunlight is really an oven. It just starts baking it. A sealed car like that just gets hotter and hotter so fast. And of course, we don't want our dogs to overheat. So, you know, really, again, the short answer is no, you really should never do that. Now, if you have a feature where you can leave your car running with the doors locked, uh, my car will do that. It'll actually, I can, I have a, the ability to run it indefinitely with the doors locked. It won't turn off or anything. Um, with the AC on, sure, you can run into the store, but even then, I, you know, I'm not going in for an hour and, and ignoring my dogs. No, I'm going in for like 10 minutes to the store because what if my what if my AC malfunctions? What if me? You know, I mean, there's, there's not not likely, but God forbid it does. So I'm still monitoring the vehicle if I have to go in somewhere for longer than just a couple minutes. Um, but again, I've got the car running and I've got the AC pumping. I mean, it's as if I'm sitting in the car, right? So that's a little different circumstance, but no, with a car off, a car closed, windows closed on a, on a, any even relatively cool day, it's never a good idea to leave your car, uh, leave your dog in a locked car like that in the sunlight. Look, there's even laws in many States that say people are allowed to go break the window open and save the dog because you know, you can't leave a dog in a hot car. <laughs> There's really no other way to say it. So no, Jenny, I'm really, I'm not trying to call you out or anything, but please be careful. Please, 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 I implore you, don't leave your dog in a vehicle that's in direct sunlight because it can be very dangerous very quickly. Next question. This comes from Thomas from Pompano Beach, Florida. Thomas asks, what food should I feed my dog? Loaded question, Thomas. <laughs> no, that's that's easier said than done on that. You know, that's 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 kind of a tough one because really there's not like one right, one wrong answer, honestly. Now I did have an episode, episode 16, titled that episode is How to Be Your Pack's Leader. Uh, but in that episode, we had a guest spot, and on that guest spot was Dr. Jackie Lyle from the Stuart Sound Animal Hospital, and she came on to talk more specifically about diets. And, you know, again, even the conclusion she came to is there are a lot of good dog foods on the market. And there's a lot of maybe not so good dog foods on the market. But we talked about grain-free raw diet versus a kibble. And look, I'll, I'll spoil the episode in the sense that you shouldn't be feeding your dog grain-free and you shouldn't be feeding a raw diet. It's my opinion. That's Dr. Lyle's opinion. Uh, and you should trust her opinion over mine on that. <laughs> like I always claim, I am by no means a veterinary or biology expert. I'm not, nor am I a dog food expert. And even Dr. Lyle says that. She's not a nutrition expert, but she's a veterinarian. And there are a lot of reputable companies out there that do a lot of really good research on dog food. And you can even just Google yourself, you know, find, find all kinds of good stuff. But really, I'm not going to give you one brand that I think is necessarily better than the others. Of course, there's a specific brand I feed my dogs. We're not going to get into that today. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, just try to make smart choices. My personal opinion, again, is to stay away from grain-free, stay away from raw diets, find something that has good, you know, if I can give a couple small tips, I would say, look at those first few ingredients. You don't want to find a lot of byproducts. You really want good, whole, nutritious 
uh, meats, proteins, things like that in there. But again, we're not going to get into too many details because by no means am I an expert on on uh, dog nutrition. I'm not. I'm not. I don't claim to be and I'm not. My expertise is in the behavior department and that's where I keep it. But what I will say is, again, just do your own research and absolutely you should be asking your veterinarian what their thoughts are, what they think you should be feeding your dog. Now, there are breed specifics. Some breeds do better on a certain breed-specific diet, right? Um, if you do have a breed that maybe has more particular nutritional requirements, then you should know that. You should do your research before getting that breed and what their requirements might be. So there is that side of it as well to consider. Um, but, you know, like I said, in general, there are a lot of good dog foods out there. A lot of not so good ones too. So do your own research, talk to your veterinarian, and come to a conclusion that's going to fit best for you, your budget, of course, and your dog. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that follow or subscribe button, be sure you go ahead and do so. And if you are an Apple podcast listener and you love what you're hearing, go ahead and click that five-star review for me. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.